This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. But hey, we're still a little linear in our time frame here. Small miracles in this investigation. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Before we start our story today, I want to give a big shout out. See Sheila H's name in my spyglass, who's just become our most recent supporter on Patreon.com, getting ad-free episodes and bonus episodes too. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, all of our Patreon supporters. And thank you for coming back to listen this week. When we completed last week's episode, We had Jack Kennedy sending the telegram, finally popping the big will you marry me question to our fair Jacqueline. Let's get these kids hitched. How does it all go down? What are the details of the ring, the wedding, the dress, and all the trashy hoopla? Let's investigate. Okay, friends, it's June of 1953. We're going to get these kids down the altar by September. We got a lot to do. Of course, we need a little bit of bling. How does Jackie get her ring? Jack, her future bridegroom, doesn't really give one flip about this. You'll find Jack is less involved and kind of gives no hoots about a lot of this wedding. He informally proposes end of May, Wedding is on for September. Now it's June. We have less than three months. It's time for some hustle. And when hustle is needed, who comes to mind? But old Papa Joe Kennedy. Papa Joe is going to head on down to his friends at Van Cleef and Arpels on Fifth Avenue. And the jewelry game has begun. See, Joe's buddy, Louis Arpels, is a private jeweler. And Louis is friend and advisor to everyone from Marjorie Merriweather Post to the Duchess of Windsor to King Fouad of Egypt and even Greta Garbo. Joe and Louis share a love. Well, they share two loves, women and horse racing. It doesn't matter that Louis Arpels is married. Louis's wife, Elaine, has made the best dressed list 10 years running. And Elaine will take Rose Kennedy with her to Paris to see the collections. Elaine will help Rose Kennedy select her wardrobe. Everybody's friends. So here comes old Joe and Louis, the ever-professional jeweler to everyone. And Louis asked Joe, have you brought a picture of the bride? And Joe's like, no, no worries, Louis Arpel says. Elaine knows the young lady in question and has guided my selection. Arpels will snap his fingers and instantly, two saleswomen are on the sales floor In the secret back room, one is sporting an engagement ring with a square-cut emerald of 2.84 carats, as well as a matching diamond of 2.88 carats. The other saleslady 
has on a ruby and diamond bracelet and a diamond leaf pin. Louis is describing each piece, and Joe just says, send them to Hyannisport. These will be the first serious pieces of jewelry Jackie's ever had. Louis walks Papa Joe to the front. No price has been discussed. The deal's just done, finalized. Joe Kennedy really did find Jack his bride, and Joe Kennedy is going to ensure that this wedding is going to go off without a hitch. The ring is acquired. Now it's time to plan the wedding. (laughs) Any guesses on how this is going to go? Because it's not just Papa Joe here. Now all the parents are getting involved. It's time for the moms to get their opinions known about the matter of the nuptials. And now that we know both Rose Kennedy and Janet Auchincloss, don't you think that they're going to have many, many, many things to say about this upcoming affair? It is in the middle of July, 1953, when Rose Kennedy, who will never, ever forget that she was born in a cold water tenement, will roll on up to Newport, Rhode Island to meet with Janet. This meeting will happen at Hammersmith Farms. This is the Auchincloss home, just a tiny little Victorian located on Harrison Avenue. Now, Harrison Avenue in Newport is not quite the gilded age place that Bellevue Avenue is. However, Hammersmith Farms is pretty impressive. There's a 28-room mansion. That's the main house. This home was built all the way back in 1887 for John W. Auchincloss. This would be Hugh's great-grandfather with all of his standard oil money. Big house, 300 acres. Whoa. And here is Rose Kennedy's car turning into the gravel driveway past the prized black Angus cattle and Rose is dressed just like her friend Elaine Arpels has advised. A light blue silk dress, white gloves, pearls, and an enormous cartwheel hat. Upon entry, Rose Kennedy will see the Auchincloss coat of arms in the foyer. In Latin is written Spectimer Agendo. The translation here, judge us by our actions. A maid will escort Rose into the sunroom where the blue waters of the Narragansett Bay are shining on this lovely summer July day. So far, so good, right? Janet Auchincloss will make her entrance in an elegant cream-colored dress. The women shake hands. They make awkward and stiff conversation. Now, Rose Kennedy thinks that they're going to have lunch at the farm and make the plans for the wedding, but Janet is like, hey, we're going to go to Bailey's Beach Club for lunch. Bailey's Beach Club, friends, is at the bottom point of Bellevue Avenue, which is the swankiest street in Newport. We are going to investigate way more in the future about Bellevue Avenue. But my secret hope here is that Dominic Dunn, when writing from his alias, his moniker in fiction, Augustus Bailey, I think Dunn takes the Bailey from Augustus Bailey from Bailey's Beach Club. Super swanky club right next door to Rough Point. Rough Point, large home at this time in 1953, owned by Doris Duke. Holy cats, we have so many investigations coming, but today, July, lunch with the moms to plan the fall wedding. But surprise, the bride and the groom are coming too for lunch. 
So all four, Janet, Rose, Jack, Jackie, hop in the car, and off they go to the Sprouting Rock Beach Association, nicknamed Bailey's Beach Club. And for real, one of the most exclusive clubs in America. Jack is in the back seat of the car in an old undershirt, shorts, and bedroom slippers. Kind of pouting in the back seat. Weird for a United States congressman. But lunch does not go great. Rose Kennedy cannot stop talking. And Janet thinks that Rose's behavior is just gauche. Janet's irritated and her nerves are grating with Rose. Just chat, chat, chat. And Janet here is kind of a snob. Janet Auchincloss will delight in treating her inferiors with a very self-satisfied superiority. And Janet is making no illusions that she thinks her daughter Jackie is marrying down, way down. Rose Kennedy, somehow through all that talking, finally gets to her reason for the visit. Her husband, Joe Kennedy, wants a huge wedding. All the stops, the affair of the decade. And Janet Auchincloss is like, yeah, me and Hugh think that a traditional Newport wedding is better, very quiet with family and just a few close friends. Jackie will support her mother here, saying, you know, we want a simple and very small wedding, just family. Jack and I want it that way. So a nice, quiet wedding for these kids, right? All are agreed, easy and done. I mean, it is July. The wedding is in September. There's not a lot of time. But hey, 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 not so fast. Because a few days later, here comes Papa Joe, arriving in Newport in a private plane and heads on over to Hammersmith Farms. His future daughter-in-law will give him a tour of the place and Joe Kennedy is making notes. He's observing it all. He's keeping track of every servant he's seen. The cook, the second cook, the butler, the handyman, the parlor maid, the chambermaid, the laundress, Janet's personal maid, the groundskeeper. Joe is looking at multiple greenhouses. They have two greenhouses for grapes, two for nectarines, one for orchids, and the others just for other assorted flowers and plants. There is a dairy on the farm where cream and butter are made daily. The flowers on the lawn are in full bloom. But I want you to get what's happening here. Joe is looking around. Money is the thing that triggers Joe Kennedy. So Joe knows that all of this farm is not an inexpensive venture to keep up with and well, Joe Kennedy is smelling a little weakness. After all, smelling weakness and money things are his very favorite game, and Joe sizes up what is happening. Essentially, the income that he was bringing in is no longer enough to maintain the lifestyle that the Auchincloss's have had previously. Honestly, Hugh at this point is kind of on financial hard times. Now, this is not normal people financial hard times. This is rich money people hard times. But Joe Kennedy understands that the Auchincloss's do not have the money to support the kind of wedding that Joe Kennedy wants to have. It's going to be lavish. It's going to be big. It's two months away. The wedding that Joe Kennedy has planned 
is going to cost about half a million dollars in 1953 money. To translate that into 2022 money, we're looking at about $5.5 million. Can you imagine almost $6 million for a simple end of summer wedding? It's supposed to be a quiet, subdued affair. Six million smackaroos. Hugh and Janet do not have half a million dollars to throw Jacqueline a wedding. And Joe Kennedy is relentless. He will batter Janet Auchincloss until she's cracking, saying, you know, I want what Jack and Jackie want, but Jackie wants what Jack wants. And if Joe has told Jack that Joe's kind of wedding is what Jack wants, well, in one swoop, old Papa Joe is going to pay for most of the wedding But the thing is here, he'll score a bigger victory than just the affair of the century for his son. The thing that Joe really enjoys is he has scored the prize of exposing the Auchincloss veneer. He calls them out on their, I don't know, genteel poverty thing. Maybe gloating it a little or a lot, if you know Joe Kennedy. And Joe's really going to relish this moment of triumph. But not for too long, because again, we got two months to plan this affair. The invitations are printed. The lettering on the invitations was not raised. Printed in black ink, cream-colored paper, very simple. Standard invitation size of about four inches by six inches. It reads, Mr. and Mrs. Hugh Dudley Auchincloss request the honor of your presence at the marriage of Mrs. Auchincloss's daughter, Jacqueline Lee Bouvier. This is just the beginning of the invitation, but I want you to notice here, there's not one word about Jacqueline's father, Black Jack Bouvier, although he will and will not come into play for the wedding weekend. Hold on to that. Continuing from our invitation to the Honorable John Fitzgerald Kennedy, United States Senate, on Saturday, the 12th of September at 11 o'clock, St. Mary's Church, Spring Street, Newport, Rhode Island. The wedding is on for September the 12th, 1953, and Jackie's gown is designed by a woman of color named Anne Lowe. The gown is 50 yards of ivory taffeta. White would not do because Jackie is going to be wearing a yellowed rose point lace veil lent by her grandmother. Jackie really does initially want a way more modern dress. She doesn't feel like this particular dress suits her. It's far too traditional. But Jack wanted traditional, so Jacqueline will go along with it all. Just a little note here. There is total calamity happening when a pipe bursts at the New York studio of Anne Lowe, the dress designer, a week before the wedding destroying not just Jacqueline's gown, but all of the bridesmaids' dresses too. There are 10 of those. Anne Lowe puts a team together and reassembles everything. It took eight weeks to make them all originally. Anne Lowe and her staff will recreate the wedding gown and these 10 bridesmaids' dresses inside of a week to have ready for the September wedding. They work around the clock. Ann Lowe is an amazing designer and unfortunately will not be publicly credited until after her death for those gowns. But alas, the dress is done and then redone, and I'm not sure if 
Jack really cares either, but Joe Kennedy does. Because the photos of the newlyweds are going to run in the New York Times, the Boston Globe, every other publication, and you know and I know what Joe is working here for Jack. Always looking for the right image. But with two months to get a wedding together of this kind of magnitude, who has time to argue? Time is of the essence. This is a fantastic time to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors this week. See you on the flip. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Oh my, we're counting up to the big day, but y'all, before the big day, Jack is going to make a decision. We all know that Jack is a big-time womanizer, but here, before he gets married, he is trying to be kind of a stand-up guy, and in an effort to make a clean start with his bride, Jack will confess all about his life as a compulsive womanizer. U.S. Senator George Smathers who is also a family friend, will comment. Jack unloaded. He confessed everything to Jackie. She handled it pretty well. She was aware that Jack was a Kennedy and that Joe had never been an example of virtue. Women of that class and generation were raised to turn a blind eye to sexual peccadilloes. But Jack talked too much, and he lived to regret that conversation. He was just like Jackie's father, Black Jack. Neither of those guys could change. So, dear Jacqueline is kind of aware of what she's getting into, but hey, the jewelry is pretty good. The night before the wedding, Jack will present Jackie with a lovely diamond bracelet, which she will wear as her something new. The bracelet featured 25 diamonds and 18 pearls, with two borders on either side of thin and rather whimsical nautical ropes. Jackie will wear the bracelet on her wedding day, along with that pearl choker necklace and the diamond leaf brooch that she received as a gift from Joe and Rose Kennedy, her new soon-to-be in-laws. Jackie's wedding bracelet was donated after her death to the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum, where it can be seen today. Okay, so we've made it to the wedding weekend, and the night before the wedding, there are pre-parties, and Janet Auchincloss has emphatically stated that Blackjack Bouvier should be getting nowhere near this wedding. So he doesn't. But here, though, Jacqueline, the bride, is adamant, unlike her sister Lee, just from April of this same year, didn't want to argue with her mother, Janet, and just had her stepdad, Hugh, walk her down the aisle. But Jackie's kind of a stubborn Leo girl and not quite as shifty as her mom, Janet. Jackie wants her dad to walk her down the aisle. But at 10 a.m. Saturday morning, this is an hour before the wedding, the phone rings. And it is Blackjack Bouvier. He asks to talk to his daughter. His ex-wife, Janet, will intercept that call when a maid comes and tells her who was on the phone. Janet comes back to her daughter Jacqueline, 
in that last hour of preparation and announces to her daughter that Jack Bouvier is drunk in his hotel room. This news is a heavy blow to Jacqueline. Janet's furious to her daughter. I knew your father would do something like this to ruin your day. Why you insisted he'd be here to do this to us, I'll never know. Jackie is naturally curious. How drunk is he? Janet says drunk. But suddenly here, Jacqueline turns on her mother, accusing her, shouting, It's all your fault. You humiliated Daddy by excluding him from all the prenuptial dinner parties. No wonder he got drunk. There's a mother-daughter fight, with Janet screaming that she will not permit Jack Bouvier to attend this wedding. And Jacqueline is sad. She's angry. She's mad at her mom. Her cousin, John H. Davis, will note that Jackie desperately wanted her father to give her away. But with all those reporters, columnists, and photographers that Joe Kennedy had invited to the wedding, could she risk a Jack Bouvier unsteady on his feet? Wouldn't it be safer from a publicity standpoint to have Uncle Hugh escort her down the aisle? Jackie's stepsister, Nina Auchincloss, will say, showing up on Hugh Auchincloss's arm, well, that was more prestigious than her father's arm anyway. And Jackie was always very conscious of the impression she was making. Jacqueline, the morning of her wedding, will flee the room in tears. Now, here's what you don't know. A few miles away, Lee's husband, Michael Canfield, has been secretly assigned by his mother-in-law, Janet, to get Blackjack Bouvier so intoxicated that he cannot attend the wedding. His room is stocked with the best liquor and champagne. There's ice, there's all the bar carts and all the setups, like an alcoholic playground in his suite. And Michael Canfield is to ensure, per Janet's orders, that Blackjack has round-the-clock liquor service. Janet, seriously, is one shifty broad. But there's a problem. The plan is not working. Blackjack is really intent on making this day happen for his daughter. And no matter how much Michael Canfield encourages Blackjack to drink, Blackjack is steady on his feet. Sure, still as tan as ever, but he's getting himself ready for his daughter's big day. He's super fit and trim. He has a new made-to-order cutaway suit, freshly pressed on the hanger. And oh no, at least for Janet, none of this is going according to her plan. There are more phone calls between our participants here. And according to the husbands of Jack Bouvier's sisters that were with him, he was not drunk. He had a few drinks, but he was holding steady. There are more phone calls made. Can he hold himself steady? Janet, still a no-go. Keep him there. Don't let him out of that room. Shifty broad. So now we're leaving the farm. We're headed to the church. And what we'll find is a crowd of more than 3,000 people pressed against police barricades on Spring Street as Jacqueline will step out of the limousine in front of St. Mary's Church in that Anne Lowe dress. Again, ivory tissue silk with a portrait neckline, a fitted bodice, and a bouffant skirt embellished with bands of more than 50 yards of flounces. Jacqueline is wearing that rose point lace veil, first worn by her grandmother, Lee. 
that was draped from a tiara of lace and orange blossoms. This is Jackie something borrowed for her wedding day. Jacqueline will also wear a choker of pearls and that diamond bracelet that was a gift, remember, from her groom. That's her something new. Her bouquet is pink and white spray orchids and gardenias. Her something blue was a traditional blue garter, just to round out all of those traditions. But again, Saturday, September 12th, it's a beautiful day. The high that day in Newport is going to be an easy, breezy 73 degrees. Inside St. Mary's Chapel, sunlight streams through the old stained glass windows. And Lowe is in the church holding the bride's train very high so it would not be trampled. And with the first chords of the traditional wedding march, Anne Lowe lets the train go and Jacqueline will float down the aisle on the arm of her stepfather, Hugh Auchincloss. Marion Charles, the old Newport resident who's also known as Oatsy, has some commentary about how this wedding shuffled out. Newport had filed in on the bride's side and the Kennedys were on the groom's side. Newport was dressed only a little bit better than if they'd been to the beach for lunch. Neat linen dresses. The Kennedys were dressed to the nines, like chic new money. 800 guests are in attendance at the church. Let's look a little further down the aisle here. There's Jack Kennedy waiting at the altar. His face is like kind of scratched to hell and back. This is the result of having fallen into a briar patch the day before in a touch football game. Standing up for Jack in his groomsman party is, of course, his best man, his brother Robert, his brother Edward, who we all know is Teddy, Jackie's brother-in-law, Michael Canfield, Jack's brother-in-law, Sergeant Shriver, who is married to his sister Eunice, Jack's cousin, Joe Gargan, Jack's friend, Lim Billings, another friend, Red Fay, another friend, Torbett McDonald, his Senate colleague and friend, George Smathers, as well as Charles Bartlett, who, remember, had introduced the couple in Georgetown all those years ago. Jack is flanked by ten bridesmaids, all in pale pink taffeta dresses set off by claret sashes. Jacqueline's attendants will include, naturally, her matron of honor, her sister Lee, her stepsister, Nina Auchincloss, as maid of honor, as well as ten other bridesmaids, among them the groom's sister Jean and sister-in-law Ethel, also included the bride's former boarding school roommate, Nancy Tuckerman. Jacqueline's half-sister, Janet Auchincloss, was the flower girl, and her half-brother, James Auchincloss, served as a page. The couple will kneel before the most reverend Richard J. Cushing, the Archbishop of Boston, and he was assisted by four other priests, including the former president of Notre Dame University, as well as the head of the Christopher Society. Before the Mass, there is a special blessing from Pope Pius XII. Now I need you to know that Jack is in a tremendous amount of pain through most of what I can find as a 40-minute ceremony, including the Mass. That's a super tight 40. I've never seen a Catholic wedding go less than an hour and 15 minutes, but 
whatevs. The tenor soloist Luigi Vena from Boston will sing Gunad's Ave Maria, and the 800 guests are all there, and marriage, and man, and wife, and all that, and there's a chaste kiss, and Jack and Jacqueline, now married, head back down the aisle, and Jackie will see here in a corner, in the shadows of the back of the church, her father, Black Jack. Jack Bouvier has tears in his eyes, watching his daughter go by. Jack is next to one of the ushers, Charles Spaulding, who is a friend of Jack's. See, Jack had called Charles Spaulding and asked him to take Black Jack to the church. Janet Auchincloss be damned. Black Jack knows that he's not participating in the wedding, but Jack Kennedy is insistent on getting him there for his bride and Charles Spaulding will. So there's Black Jack, just not in the father of the bride role. Jack Bouvier causes not one difficulty within the ceremony. I'm not sure if you can ever quite forgive your mom that, but alas, out of St. Mary's they go, and Jacqueline is blinded by the sunlight outside the church, and holy cats, it is a press field day. There are hundreds of people, thousands, trying to break through all the police lines. And Jacqueline recoils at the scene. This much publicity is not quite her thing. But her husband, on the other hand, loves all the adulation and adoration. The wedding reception was held at the Auchincloss home, Hammersmith Farms, the oceanfront estate with its 300 acres. Although the reception is not just for the 800 guests that attended the wedding, there are another 400 guests that will attend the reception. So we're looking, whoa, can you imagine at a reception for about 1,200 people? Oh my, right? What does that receiving line look like? I actually did a little investigation to find out a three-hour receiving line, friends. The music at the wedding reception was provided by the Meyer Davis Orchestra, which plays I Married an Angel for Senator and Mrs. Kennedy. Remember that Myers Davis and his orchestra played for that Washington, D.C. subscription dance where the couple had their first kiss not all that long ago. The cake, whoa, four feet tall, its baker is a gentleman named William Paul, who is the head baker for the Plord's Bakery of Fall River, Massachusetts. The couple is showered with rose petal confetti and rice as they exit their wedding reception and head off for their two-week honeymoon in Acapulco, Mexico. Acapulco at the time is the most glamorous place in Mexico, and when those two weeks wrap, Jack and Jackie We'll have a few more days together on the West Coast in Santa Barbara. This is at the San Isidro Ranch, where $27 a night would get the cottage in which the honeymooners stay. This has now been renamed the Kennedy Cottage. Again, not germane to the story here, but I do love this little bit. While on their honeymoon, Jack will catch a large sailfish on a deep-sea fishing trip. His new wife will have this quote-unquote trophy fish stuffed and mounted. 
and many years later after Jack becomes president of the United States, the honeymoon fish was hung in the White House. Let me drop just another quick note in here about Dominic Dunn. He is still, at the time of the wedding, 1953, on a almost worship level of the Kennedys. He's very protective of them. He will not be within a decade. Nick at this time, remember, is working in New York City. One of his colleagues from NBC was invited to the wedding, so I'm certain that our man Nick had some real fun gossip at the water cooler that following week. Dominic Dunn will actually meet Jacqueline in this period a few times at 30 Rock. One of Dominic's friends, Freddie Eberstadt, and Jacqueline have been friends since childhood. Dominic will meet Jackie through this connection, as well as through another one of his friends, Gore Vidal. Again, remember, who is the stepbrother of Jacqueline. Gore Vidal and Jacqueline will come to 30 Rock after the wedding for this second introduction. Gore Vidal and Dominic Dunn have known each other for quite a while. Back on an international holiday that Dominic took with a friend of his in 1947, it is Gore Vidal who will invite Nick and his friend along with him to stay at the home of Anais Neen on this holiday. Whoa. We've talked a little bit about that on a bonus episode on Patreon, but all the spiderwebs and all the connections, friends. Jack and Jackie, now married, now hitched. We're in 1953. And when we come back Tuesday, remember for our next Sunday, we will be picking back up where we left off just a few weeks ago with our Marilyn Monroe episodes, picking up in about 1955 or so. Do you have a few fun things, though, for our Patreon folks? We're going to have a Jackie Kennedy bonus or two coming up this week along with a few other things over at patreon.com slash done and done. Be sure to check out that page if you're looking to continue the investigation. $2 a month will get you ad-free early episodes. $5 a month will get you bonus episodes, stickers, and even more. Thank you all so, so much for tuning in today and for your support. Telling your friends, thank you for the awesome reviews. Big shout out to L Park Ramsey and Rizzy777. Y'all rock. So much love and appreciation to all of you. Until we meet again next Tuesday, friends, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.